0: Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching.
1: I want to just talk about the name of Jesus for a minute, the power of the name, the power of His blood, and someone on our team earlier felt like there was at least one person in this room who was battling suicidal thoughts. And uh, if that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but just raise your hand real quick um, that I can see it, if that's you. Be brave, yep, okay, put it back down. Anybody else? Okay, keep your eyes closed. Uh, I'm just gonna declare truths about the name of Jesus, that he brings life and he brings life abundant. He breaks chains of slavery it's why he was brought into the world. It's why the Savior was brought here. He takes your yoke and he gives, him, he gives you your, his own. It's light, it's easy. He sends the angels to minister to you. That's their job, they're called ministering spirits. He sends forth light, he sends forth life. He erases depression. He terrifies depression. He conquers depression. Suicide is not your lot. It's not what he's aligned for you. In fact, he only comes to bring life and life abundantly. He never comes to kill or steal and destroy. That's the job of the enemy. And so we as a church family, just in our hearts, we come into agreement that life is your burden. That easiness is your burden. That lightness is your burden. And he's removing that yoke from you in Jesus' name, the name above all other names, the name that conquers every fear, every sin, every sickness, every disease. It is the key to life. So we just proclaim Jesus over you tonight. Amen. Amen. Okay. I felt, did anybody else feel God was on the dancers tonight? Heaven and Lees. Oh, man. Thank you guys for being such conduits for the Holy Spirit. Jesus voraciously defends his bride. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. It's a lot of words, a lot of syllables, but Jesus voraciously defends his bride. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but there are powers and principalities over every region. And the purpose of these evil powers, the Bible calls them powers and principalities, The purposes are to scatter believers. It's to create fear. It's to prevent gathering. It's to disrupt and hinder. It's, they're there to disrupt faith. And the result is fear. It inflicts fear in regions. And many people will often feel defeated. And when there is a strong power or a principality in a region, it's when you start to see a lot of false doctrines arise within the bride of Christ that actually allow for that thing to have its way instead of the Lord having his way. And as an apostolic church, we are actually called. Let me rephrase that. You are actually called to terrify those powers of darkness. You're called to overcome those powers of darkness that have reigned and ruled for years. And one of the beautiful things about being in an apostolic house is that you can destroy and you can cast out the powers of darkness that hinder the growth of the capital C church and of the spreading of his kingdom. You actually possess the authority to scatter darkness. Did you know that? I don't feel like you do. Look at your neighbor and say, you scatter darkness. Tell your other neighbor, you bring health and life to the region. The spiritual uh, is always paying attention. It's always listening. God never sleeps, he never takes a nap. The angels never sleep, they don't take naps. Demons don't sleep, they don't take naps. In any time that we speak, day or night, when we operate in faith and under his authority, they will be listening to you. All of the powers of darkness operate in the same way. And any time that we operate in that faith and begin to move in that authority that's already been given to us, um, both the angelic and the demonic realm pay very close attention. And did you know that they have to obey? Authority is a big deal. If you're in second year at Kingdom Living, we've, we've hit a little bit on this topic, uh, and we're going to go in a new direction with it, but all power and all authority has been handed to us. Who handed it to us? Jesus. And I want to I repeat that because I don't know if people fully believe that statement. They believe power and authority have been handed to us, but I don't know if Christians always believe that all power and all authority have been handed to us. And if all power and all authority have been handed to us, that means we never have to earn it. We never actually have to work for it. What we do is we choose to operate under it. It's already there. It's already given. And I was thinking about this the other day. Imagine if Reunion had a prayer room. Wouldn't that be awesome? That, that would be like a dream to have a prayer room, a worship room. But here's a better thought. What if all churches had a prayer room? What if all the churches had a worship room? the apostolic anointing is a breaker anointing and it's it's that idea that you can't enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless you first tie up the strong man then you can plunder his house and i feel like there's such a timidity towards darkness and a fear towards shadows that we'll often run from shadows instead of running to shadows did you know we're not actually called to run away from darkness darkness by definition runs away from light and I'm not telling you to pick stupid fights. You need to use wisdom. You need to hear from the Lord. But I'm just telling you, it says that the gates of Hades won't stand against the prevailing church. That means the church is on the offense. The church is moving and trampling demonic walls. So if I see a demonic wall, I don't think, "Uh uh-oh, I better stay away. I think, "Uh uh-oh, it's going down. That's your job. So we're going to spend two weeks, this week and next week, talking about faith and Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a whirlwind of thought, but we're going to hit healing. We're going to hit authority because they're all related to faith. Say it out loud. Faith, faith. Faith, Yeah. Faith is a spiritual gift. It's one of the gifts of the spirit. And I I love, I heard T.L. Osborne say one time that someone came up to him and they said, I won't believe it until I see it. And he said, well, you won't see it until you believe it. That's, that's how the kingdom works. That's literally the nature of the kingdom. And tonight we're actually gonna talk about that, that the kingdom works. And what I mean by that is not that there's working in the kingdom, there is working in the kingdom, but the kingdom works, it succeeds. Can we go to this first slide talking about the kingdom? The word kingdom means, it comes from two words, king's domain. And all kingdoms, including spiritual kingdoms, have four basic elements. The first thing is that they have a king. They have a ruler. The second thing is that they have a territory. The third thing they all have is that they have citizens who have territorial jurisdiction. In other words, they put the people in charge. And then the fourth thing that they all have are laws and a form of government in which the will of the ruler is exercised. Does that make sense? All the kingdom of living people are like, I've heard this, not, not for much longer. It's going in a new direction. God designed two types of laws in his kingdom. There are direct laws and there are indirect laws. He designed, he designed direct laws that we have to intentionally carry out. And what I mean is that these are direct commandments. So let me show you some of his laws that you and I get to carry out. We're told we have to love our neighbor. It's a direct command that works. We're told to pray for our enemies. We're, pray, we're, we're called to heal the sick. We're called to bind up the brokenhearted. We're called to cast out demons. These all involve an intentional choice where a personal action is required. This is a direct law. And while the kingdom doesn't involve earning, it does involve work. When Jesus sent out the 12, he called them workers. He called them workers. Yeah, yeah. all right. It's my favorite side every week. He he called the 12 workers. And in many parables are about workers or about faithful servants. And I guess what I'm just trying to say is that direct laws involve us partnering with him. God calls it co-laboring. Co-laboring. God also designed indirect laws, and these are more the spiritual laws that we're all familiar with, and these things work on their own. Uh, for example, the, law, the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. There's a spiritual law that works indirectly, and yes, we sow, and then he takes the thing that we planted and he causes it to work for this cause, for the kingdom's cause. There's usually not much work really involved on our end of things with indirect laws. So in other words, Uh, I can't make a plant grow. I can put it in the soil, and I can water it, I can give it sunlight, and I can steward it, but I don't actually make the seed turn into a plant and watch it grow. It's an indirect working that God does. The plant grows on its own. My job is to plant it. His job is to grow it. Make sense? Okay. Here's another indirect law in Scripture. God says that his word never returns void. It's like a boomerang it, it always comes back and it's never void and we actually have a job to do one of our direct laws is to proclaim the good news right we're out we're out here preaching the gospel but your job is not to make something happen with the word that's his job he puts the word to work because it's an indirect spiritual law and we actually don't have the authority to make it work it's not in our in our line of uh function And I would say that a lot of times when we try to help him make indirect laws work, we actually muddy up the process. Here's an example we've talked about this year is tithing. There's an indirect law. We do have... um, this, this, I don't mean like law and grace, but I mean like this godly law, this thing, he's the king, it's his kingdom, and he has these rules that he puts into effect. One of those things is tithing, where we give him the first 10% as an offering, this self-will declaration that he gets the first fruits of our lives. And then what, how that tithe works is that he promises to open up the storehouses of heaven and pour out far more into us than we ever gave away how this tithing works is that he makes 90% of your income go far greater places than 100% ever could, right? You can't make that happen. He makes that happen because it's this indirect spiritual law. The spiritual law works on its own. We just have to move in faith under those laws. That's actually how all of God's promises work. They're all spiritual orders that he designed we just move in faith, and we operate under his authority, under his laws. You guys good? Okay. So smart. Now, here's the thing. If we choose to operate outside of his laws, we actually remove him from the responsibility of his end of the agreement. He doesn't operate by our laws. We operate by his And sometimes I feel like we will break one of the laws of the Lord, these spiritual laws that he's put into effect, and say, God, why aren't you blessing this? And it's like he's saying, oops, that's not how it works. I establish what these laws are, these spiritual things that we go on. And I think that a lot of believers are actually weak and suffering because they don't recognize God's order. God's order is a big deal. The anointing flows through God's order, not man's. And so a church or a people who are out of order rarely see the anointing flowing. I've heard people uh, say that they don't like to tithe because it's costly. I'm like, that's literally the day. (laughs) That's what it is, right? It is money. Yes, it's costly. And I've heard people say, I feel like the Lord saying, I don't need to tithe. I don't need to put that tithe towards the local church, I can give it to anyone or anything I want to because it's the percentage that matters. And listen, I don't care how strongly you feel about it. When it goes against the laws of God and the design of God, it will remove the responsibility of the Lord to fulfill his promises and bless that thing that you're doing. People say, I don't have enough money to tithe. And if you don't tithe, you never will have enough money to tithe. That's a spiritual law. Like, I'm not joking. It's funny, but I'm not joking. As soon as you align with God's order, his design, his laws, you will see results. You will see the promises come to pass. That's just how it works. These are the indirect laws. Let's look at John chapter 15. This is Jesus. Uh, he's talking. He's talking. That's the end of the sentence. Let's go to it. Uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So when we start looking at God's laws, and when I say that, again, I don't want to paint like, oh man, it's this, you know, rigid thing. No, no, this is just his design, his order of the universe, both spiritual and physical. These things always begin with his authority. And our partnership with that authority, makes those things come to pass in the physical. We take spiritual things and bring them into the natural through obedience and faith. Any time that God explains one of these spiritual laws, uh, any of these commands, any of these ways that he sets up the universe, it's actually because he wants to fulfill those things. He he never asks us to do anything, say anything, or pray anything that he doesn't fully intend to back up. If he says it, it's really safe to believe in him. It's really safe to take him at his words. And he never creates laws that he doesn't enforce. He won't ask us to lay hands on the sick if he doesn't intend to heal them. All we have to do is abide because he's the vine and all we have to do is stay in him. And he says, and my words stay in you, and you will bear much fruit. So my point about authority is that to get the Lord's results, we have to employ the Lord's methods. Do you hear me? To get the Lord's results, we have to employ the Lord's methods. And this requires submission to his authority. It requires submission to his order of the universe that he set up. I mean, there are some geniuses in this room, but you're not as smart as he is. And he's better at setting up universes than we are, believe it or not. And and listen, our preferences will never be able to overrule his infinite wisdom. Another way to think about this is that unless we're using the Lord's process, there are no guaranteed results. Do you want results? Follow his order of things, follow his design. Right? And it's not open to debate. Your knowledge of good and evil does not supersede his. And many of us find that we're actually idolizing self more than we realize. And our preferences and our feelings and what we want. That's a great way to get cut off and thrown away and burned. Because we've detached ourselves from the vine. And what we see a lot of times uh, throughout history in revival cultures, which I fully uh, embrace, and that's, I think, who we are. Uh, a lot of times, these cultural cultures will try to divide two things that aren't actually meant to be divided. Uh, and these two things are the clear written word of God, and then the other thing is what we sense from God, what we feel, what we sense from Him. Uh, the Bible has to be our tether, it's what ties us to truth, it is truth. And sometimes, what we'll do is we'll disobey these very clear, fully expressed teachings of the Bible because we feel otherwise. Sometimes we feel really strongly otherwise. And I've, I've probably done this myself. I hear it quite a bit um, just knowing a lot of people. And what happens is it feels very spiritual. But the truth is that God calls that rebellion. This is why knowing the Word of God is so important. The Bible reveals the clear-cut will of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known. How do you know the will of God? Read your Bible. It's very clear. And if our passions or our desires go against God's will, His order, or His design, I don't care how much we want those things. They run contrary to His order, and there's bad results. You won't get the promises. And I've met Christians probably, I don't know, hundreds of times, that say, well, I support this issue over here because how could a loving God not want that? If he has compassion, how could he not stand for this or that? And then when you point them to the very clear, succinct verses in the Bible that say that this isn't how God feels about it, uh, a lot of people get really tripped up when their version of good and evil isn't the ultimate truth. I've heard people, when they discovered what the Bible said about some things, they said, well, I guess Christianity isn't for me. And that's the thing. No, it's not for you. It's for him. And if we think that he is moved by our passions that run directly against his version of purity or love, we're going to find ourselves fighting directly against God. Who's going to win that battle? Listen, Christianity isn't for you. It's for him. And you will not... Thank you, Robin. Yeah, I thought it was good. You won't win in a court of law when you violate his laws and his design. That's not mean. That's just. And I don't care how spiritual we are. Anytime what we feel goes against Scripture, what we feel has to go under this subjection about the clear written truth of God. Got it? Okay. Okay. Now let me start to ruffle. Now that everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we know this. This is basic. There is no tension between the written word and the Holy Spirit, right? We've talked about this. The Holy Spirit is actually who opens up the written word. You cannot understand your Bible without inviting the Holy Spirit into it. If you feel that the Holy Spirit is asking you to do something, think something, move in any direction that goes against the word of God, his order, his plans, his structure, then you're not actually hearing from the Holy Spirit. I don't care how strong the feeling is, the Holy Spirit is not feelings. He is not your understanding, he is God. And a lot of times we think we're moving in spirituality or compassion, and God's saying like, oh, that's rebellion, that's not spiritual, that's not compassion. That's actually going against what I said. Maybe we'll talk more about an upcoming, that about upcoming weeks. I don't know if you're ready for it. You guys, wake up. Let's go. It's going to get... Okay. Trust your Bible. Trust your Bible above your vision. Trust your Bible above your dreams. Trust your Bible above your ambitions, above your passions, above your desires. Because newsflash, this just in, you sometimes have desires that aren't from God. Right? Shocker. Write it down. That's why... Listen. Listen to me. That's why so many people get tripped up on issues like homosexuality or social justice or whatever the world is trying to make you focus your attention on. The world will tell you that those things are right because of their overwhelming passion and feeling about those things. And we think that there's no way that I would ever feel this strongly about something unless it was God's design or unless it was God ordained. And here is where rebellion sets in. Jesus is the head of the church. Agreed? Whatever he says goes. Agreed? Okay. If he says something and if you're in, in your heart of hearts you feel the opposite, it doesn't matter your argument, you will lose in his court of law. We do not tell the head what to do. We do not tell the judge what he needs to do, no matter how badly we want it, no matter how badly we feel it. Think about this. In the Garden of Eden, what tree did God tell Adam and Eve to eat from? Well, I guess you guys need to read Genesis 1 through 3. He told them to eat from the tree of life. The tree of life. Now, I won't make eye contact with all the wrong answer people. But what tree did he tell them not to eat from? Correct. He said, eat from the tree of life. But do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever thought why it was named that way? Prior to eating the fruit of the tree of, the no- of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve relied completely on God to tell them their boundary lines. They, the, he informed them of their mission, their call, their destiny. Let's go to Genesis 128. God said, do this. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Originally, that was what mankind was put on earth to do. And Adam and Eve obeyed initially, and God set up their order. He set up their design. He set up what they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to do it. And then they ate from the tree of, the no- of knowledge of good and evil. And listen to me, they actually got the knowledge of good and evil. And suddenly, their eyes were opened to both sides of the coin. And suddenly, there was an option that they could decide between good or evil. And from that moment forward, in the, in the Garden of Eden, man's struggle has always been what he feels like is right and wrong versus what God says is right and wrong. From the beginning. From the beginning, man's struggle has since then been, I know what's best. That's pride. That's literally what got Satan kicked out of heaven. So the question comes down to this. If it's in Scripture, do we obey it? And, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. commandments." And it's easy to obey the things that we like and that we fully agree with. That's easy. But it's actually a sacrifice and this self-willed offering to obey the things that we don't understand or we don't necessarily agree with. Let me just give you an example. Man, I don't really love that thought of loving my enemies. You know what thought I like? Arnold Schwarzenegger, machine guns, grenades. Guess what he does to his enemies, right? That feels good, but I don't care how it feels. I don't care if I understand that, but don't understand God's law. I have to submit myself to his law, his order, and his design, okay? So God is seated on the throne. His throne was established by his authority. That's what the Bible says. All things were created by his authority. All physical and spiritual laws of the universe were maintained, created and maintained by his authority. That's why it's so critical for us to understand God's order because it always works. That's why it's so important for us to understand God's design because it always works. Anytime we go with what we feel we know best on, it doesn't work. One of these spiritual laws, one of these truths that God sets up as his design that works is healing. I know um, the, the pain and the fear that people feel when they hear things like faith healer. Okay, I know that that's been abused, um, but I just need to tell you, When it comes to faith healing, there is no other kind of healing than faith healing, right? I believe not just in faith healing. I believe in faith salvation. I believe in faith casting out. I believe in faith prophecy because I believe in faith. And what I believe is what God's design is. What his word says is that it's impossible to please him without faith. Hebrews 10.38 says that the righteous live by faith. So if anyone ever says, like, oh, you're just one of those faith churches. Yep, because I don't want to be a church that makes him upset. Like, you can only please him through faith. We have to live by faith. Everything we say, everything we do, everything we think has to be wrapped in and dipped in faith. So let's look at one of the greatest trades in history. It's in Isaiah 53. It says, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was pierced through for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his wounds we are healed all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way but the lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Do you see in there, keep that up just for a minute, each of us has turned his own way. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. And what I want you to see out of this small passage here is that four things are taken from us. Our grief, our sorrows, our transgressions, and our iniquities. He takes our grief, sorrow, Uh, transgressions and iniquities. And he gives us two things, peace and healing. That's the greatest trade that you can imagine. And listen, with his suffering and death, Jesus purchased not only freedom from sin, but he purchased freedom from sickness. Isaiah, in this passage, sees these two things at the same time. He sees this as one event. Grief, sorrow, transgressions, iniquities taken, peace, healing given. If Jesus' suffering and death purchased our forgiveness of sin, it also purchased healing. Because it's all one event. Because Jesus wasn't just the lamb who was slain in zero or in thirty-three AD when he hung on the cross. It says he was the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world, from before that. So he was the Lamb who was slain since forever, and he will be the Lamb who was slain until forever. Faith or sorry, healing and forgiveness are eternally connected at the cross. Jesus has the same authority over sin as he does sickness. He treats them the same way. Even the word salvation in your New Testament, it it comes from the Greek word soteria. It means saved, healed, delivered, sozo. Let's look at um, another place very quickly that ties forgiveness and healing. It's in James chapter 5. Is anyone among you sick? And I I just want to take a minute. That word, anyone, it means any one of you. Is any one of you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. If we can understand his will on salvation, then we can understand his will on healing. Because the same principle applies. The same design, the same order, the same laws apply. This is his order. This is his way. This is his design. This is his law. The king established it in his territory. He enforces it. It works for him. Does this make sense? Salvation comes to a person when man cooperates with either preaching of the gospel or receiving the good news, right? You, You preach it or you receive it. Man, if man isn't saved, it's not because the gospel doesn't work. It's not because God doesn't want them saved. It just means either the gospel wasn't preached or the gospel wasn't received, right? Because his word never comes back to him void. The bottom line is that God's will on salvation is known. He wants all people to be saved even though they're not. The exact same principle applies to healing. If we fail to deliver healing or if people refuse to receive it, we shouldn't question God's will towards it. It's just like the same with salvation. It's his will that we be healed. It's just that not all people get healed. The same law, the same principle, the same design. God does not enforce his law on people. Let me rephrase that. He does not enforce his will on people. You can receive it. He waits for you to partner and co-labor it. You actually have the choice whether you're going to operate in his design or not. Faith requires this abandoning of ourselves, of thinking that we know right, and it actually requires us to move into this thought of, God, you know right. Whether I feel it or not, whether I understand it or not, it doesn't matter. Listen, we've talked about this a hundred times, but I I want to look at this again. Jesus healed all who came to him. All who came to him, he healed. He didn't heal everybody. He healed all who came to him. No one was turned away. Listen, as long as people were willing to be healed, he was willing to heal them. Does that make sense? He didn't heal everyone. He just healed those who came to him. As long as those people were willing to come to him, he was willing to heal them. Jesus didn't heal all who were sick, but he healed all who were willing to be made well. That's a big oof. He healed all who were willing to go out of their way, to come to him, to grab the hem of his garment. He healed every single one of them. Some people in scripture who were sick did not want to be healed, and guess what? They were not healed. The will of man is always honored by God because he gives us according to what our heart desires. That's scripture. We see that over and over. It's called free will. Why is this important? Well, this is important because some will argue that Jesus uh, went around looking for certain individuals who the Father did want to heal and certain individuals who the Father didn't want to heal. And he would avoid those, he wouldn't make eye contact with those, like, God, them, nope, Oh, not going to make eye contact, God, them, yep, okay, I'll go heal them. This is, this is actually a very common uh, reason offered why the Father didn't heal everybody. And we'll often point to scriptures like Jesus when he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. So if those people didn't get healed, God must not have wanted them healed. He must have only wanted these people healed. The problem with that argument is that numerous accounts in the Gospels, Jesus visits these villages and it says he healed them all. Do you see why that's a problem? Rather than looking for certain people to heal and avoiding others, he healed everyone who wanted to be healed enough to come to him. Everyone who wanted it bad enough came to him and got what they wanted, without exception. Jesus almost never healed anybody the same way twice. Sometimes he did it in public. Sometimes he did it in private. Sometimes he spoke words at a distance. Other times people reached out and touched him. Sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he healed with teaching. Sometimes he healed with warnings. Sometimes uh, he healed when he was asked. Sometimes he healed when he wasn't asked. It makes sense when Jesus says, I only do what the Father is doing, not to figure out if God wants to heal people, but how God wanted him to heal everybody. Jesus wasn't wondering if he should. He was wondering how he should when they came to him. And if it's God's will to heal the sick, sorry, let me rephrase that. If it's God's will for some people to stay sick, then Jesus then nobody disregarded God's will like Jesus did, right? Think of how many character lessons Jesus cheated those sick people out of. We can argue that persecution builds character. That's biblical. The Bible says that character often comes by enduring persecution, it's in First Peter. But nowhere does the Bible teach that sickness creates character scripture tells us that while god's plans can change his nature his character and his will never change yeah. so again remember god has direct laws that are for us to intentionally carry out these direct commanded commandments heal the sick raise the dead cleanse lepers bind up the brokenhearted, cast out demons love your neighbor turn the other cheek these are all direct commands that you and i get to do these are the will of God. They do not change. So when it comes to these things, we need to worry a whole lot less about if we should do those things than how to do those things. If I have an enemy, I don't need to worry about if I need to forgive him. I need to worry about how I'm going to forgive him. Jesus calls our enemy the thief. The thief. That's what he calls, Satan's. He calls Satan. That means that all of Satan's activities are illegal. They break his law. They break his design. They break his order of things. John 10.10, Jesus says the enemy comes to do three things. What are they? Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. So that means anytime there is loss, death, or destruction, it's the calling card of the enemy. Jesus says he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That means he's got nothing else that he can do all of his activities are illegal. Did you know that the fact that stealing is illegal does not stop people from committing robbery? Maybe we should just tell the criminals the law, right? And then they would stop. (laughs) Crime happens not because God approves it, but because he values free will and he wants us to exercise our free will into partnering with him in abolishing lawlessness. In the same way, sickness doesn't exist because God approves of it, but he does want us to use our free will to partner with him and defeat it. The enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing else. Sickness is an unauthorized activity carried out in the kingdom of darkness. Criminals break the law. Sickness is what the thief is, is trying to cast on us. He's trying to rob our health, he's trying to steal it. However, we are these secret agents authorized to enforce the will of the ruler. He's the king. It's his territory. He had citizens, and they enforce his will. Do you think that that's going to be for us when we get to heaven, or is that for us now? In a court of law, who makes the laws? The judge. But in the court of law... The judge does not hit the streets with his gun and his badge and his baton. Who does that? The police officers. Guess who the police officers of the kingdom are? You. In the same way that a police officer fights crime, we're actually commissioned to fight sickness and disease and darkness. Healing is a matter of enforcing God's will here on earth as his representatives. There's a king it's his territory, it's his kingdom. He makes the laws, he makes the rules, he makes the flow of things, he, he makes how things are supposed to work and he's asking if we'll partner with his laws. I want to read my favorite Christmas passage. It's about nine verses. I want you guys, can you stand with me? I wanna honor the one who came as savior. Um, You can keep your eyes open, you can close your eyes. I don't care, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture the Christ in the manger. Now, I know what my advent calendar as a kid looked like. I know what the, the movies on TV looked like, but how many of you have been to a farm recently? That's what he was born into. It's not pretty. It doesn't smell great. It's, you know, they're not wearing these ornate purple and green, like, what's that, like, head thing that all of them seem to wear? And, like, they have the the little band across their heads. And, you know, it's all white. Like, they didn't just step in animal manure. And listen, that's funny. But guess what? They were in a manger. I need you to see the Savior lying in the manger because these verses are about him. I'm going to read Isaiah 9 to you. But there will be no more gloom for her who, who, for, her, for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. That baby in the manger, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nation. You will increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as the battle of Midian. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of His government or His peace. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. We're going to end this service um, in the best possible way. We're going to worship for about nine minutes. And we're just going to play a song. I don't care what you do. You can move around. You can stay still. But here's the only thing is that we have to worship him. This is one of the laws of the universe that he's created. When we worship him in spirit and truth, it says rivers Of living water will begin to flow from us and then it says that this is actually the Holy Spirit and I'm telling you if there's any way for the people who are living in darkness to see a great light it's for us to worship and glorify him the babe who is lying in a manger and it will literally flood the atmosphere now I'm gonna tell you the call on this house is a significant call This is not a local church, although we are a local church. This is a regional church, and we're actually called to impact this region. You will not impact the place you're at without worshiping him. Do you guys remember when we worshiped uh, about a month or two ago when the fire alarm went off? And I said something along the lines of, can we worship past our offense? Can we worship if we don't have the the beautiful guitars and pads and all these things? Or do we actually require those things to engage our hearts with Him? One of my favorite parts about uh, kingdom living when we have the full time school is that we've actually learned to worship under any circumstance. I would say we worship as well with the keys and the guitars as well as we worship with just voices. We have to learn how to operate in His authority through faith, and we're going to start to see the promises of the kingdom come to pass in our midst. Worship is one of the greatest weapons we have. Psalms 8.2 says that um, praise silences the foe and the avenger. It literally silences the enemy. So when there are powers and principalities telling people, be scared, be territorial, be prideful, and whispering all these lies to God's people, we actually have the ability And the right to silence the foe and the avenger. So do whatever you need to do. We're going to play some music. Sing along. Don't sing along. Whatever you need to do to engage your heart, that's what you have permission to do. And then we're going to close service. This is not the end. This is part of the service. Let's go.
0: We come to the and worship. Anyone tired of singing this song? Anyone tired of singing of salvation? fear. Yeah.
2: the glory. Jesus, you are worthy. Give him an offering, a true offering from your heart. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, give you all the glory, all the adoration, Jesus. Worthy of it all. Just a little bit longer, tell him how worthy he is. beautiful beautiful one so worthy of it all jesus again we surrender we surrender to you father father god almighty one jesus our hearts explode with adoration and love for you thank you jesus Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. We acknowledge your presence. And we say thank you, Father. And while you're in this space, we just wanna allow the opportunity, if you have not yet, given your life over to Jesus, surrendered your life over to the Lord, what we call born again, a relationship with Him. We want to provide that opportunity for you now. If there's a racing in your heart and burning, I just encourage you to raise your hand. We're not going to embarrass you or call you out. But if you just haven't had the opportunity yet to give your life over to the Lord, would you raise your hand right now? wonderful now i'm going to take it that everyone in this room knows the lord intimately and personally which is wonderful can we just give a celebration shout and thank you to the lord that is so exciting jesus oh wow you know the the um john 10:10 says the enemy came to steal kill and destroy but jesus came that we may have life and life to the full oh i'm so passionate about that but um If you didn't raise your hand and you would like to be uh, led into salvation, we're going to have the ministry team come up um, and they're going to lead you through a prayer. If you're also needing um, any prayer for anything else in your ministry, please come forward. We'd love uh, for our team to just minister to you and have the Lord minister to you. Yeah, well, I, just, I just really feel the delight and excitement of the Lord. Can you, with everything you are, just give him one more shout? Give him one more praise. Give him an offering of praise. Did you see the theme throughout the night of surrender? This is surrender to the Lord. So, um, yeah, when you go out this week, I just bless you to continue to, to surrender the things um, that you feel the Lord nudging you because I, I, I just really feel that this week is going to, the Holy Spirit is so kindly going to reveal things that we need to continue to surrender to him. So ministry team, would you please make your way up to the front? And as we close, um, would you ta- we'd love you to fellowship and have conversations, but if you would please just honor what the Lord is doing in the room and take those um, to the lobby or to Chili's, and um, <laughs> don't forget your kids, please. And we'll see you next week. And bless you all.
0: For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii If you're in Honolulu. Join us Sundays at 5 live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.